Here in James chapter 5, we come down to verse 7. Verse 7, beginning at verse 7, he says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. I'm going to stop right there, and I want us to note um, here, he is talking about enduring trials. Again, you remember the beginning of this book, James chapter 1. Who is he writing to? He's writing to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. So James is writing to Jewish believers who have been scattered into other nations around the world, um, because of the persecution there that came in Jerusalem. So he's writing a letter of encouragement. He's talking about their trials, their temptations, their, the testings that they're going through. Here he's just addressed the rich, and he's cautioned about the attitudes of the rich. But we come here now to the second part of this chapter, and he's encouraging the brethren. You know, whether or not this had to do with him suffering from the persecution that had come because of rich people... The response here is important. He says here, be patient. In light of persecution, be patient. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. What does it mean to be patient? Well, here, self-restrained. Self-restrained, long-tempered, in particularly, self-restraint from what? What is our... Natural inclination to persecution. To fight back. That's exactly right. Retaliation. Hey, wait a minute. Who do you think you are? That's not right. I've been treated unjustly. Don't ever do that again. Or I will. Okay. It's this retaliation, attitude of retaliation. And here's what he is encouraging them. He goes, you need to have self-restraint. Self-restraint from retaliation. Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs 14 and verse 29. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. Slow to wrath. Being slow to wrath. How does that equate to being of great understanding? What is understood? Why is the person who is slow to wrath, why does he have great understanding? What does he understand that the person who is, you know, hasty of spirit doesn't understand? I mean, if, there's under, if, if one is characterized by understanding, there must be something he understands. Do you know what that is? Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Okay. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Okay. What else? The wrath of man does what? It does not work the righteousness of God. Okay. What was the example of Christ on the cross? Who reviled not, who when he was reviled, reviled not. He threatened not. He committed himself unto him that judgeth righteously. And so a man that is slow to wrath has great understanding. He understands who's really in control. 
And he submits himself to what? Really, to the care and the righteousness and the justice of the ultimate judge, the one who will set all things right in his time. We want our accounts settled today, right now. We want, what's the, what's the word? We want instant karma, right? <laughs> and somebody does something, we want to see him hit the wall, pow. Boy, that serves you, right? And then we get this great gloating feeling of, boy, showed you, didn't I? Okay, that's, this is not what James is talking about, okay? Be patient, therefore. Be patient, therefore. Okay, be patient, brethren. In Proverbs 15 and verse 18, a wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. I'll give you one other reference here. Proverbs 19, 11. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is a glory to pass over a transgression. Discretion. Okay. Now, be patient. Be patient. Be long-tempered. Self-restraint, especially in, this, in, in regards to persecution or ill-treatment, unjust treatment. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 23, and I was quoting some of this just a moment ago. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, it says, For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it when you be buffeted for your faults? You shall take it patiently. But... If when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. So here, there is going to be persecution. There's going to be unjust treatment. It says here, for even hereunto were ye called. Called to what? Called to respond correctly to persecution. You talk about if you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable to God. And for this, it says here, for even hereunto were ye called. And what example do we have? Well, it gives the example of Christ. He says, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. So we're not left without an example, without a pattern, without a very graphic picture. And you think about the illustration he gives. Who was grossly mistreated? Jesus Christ, who did no sin. It says right here, we should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. So here is the perfect Son of God. And he was reviled. He suffered. In verse 23, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. You think about that. Think about Jesus there on the cross. If it had been you in, that, in a situation like that, what do we have a tendency to do? Boy, when I get through here, I'm coming after you. Okay? And if anybody could have done that, of course, <laughs> Jesus. He is, is a son of God. But what does it say? When he was reviled, he did not revile again. He didn't lash back out at them. When he suffered... He threatened not, 
but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. There's the understanding that the man who is slow to wrath, there's the understanding that he has. Listen, God is the one who judges righteously. And he does judge righteously. Perfect judgment. When we suffer, it is not that God has ceased to take notice. He does take notice. And he's the one who settles the account in his time. And so here, Jesus, even on the cross, committed himself to his Father, committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live under righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Long-tempered. We have the example of Christ. So here, James says, Be patient, therefore, brethren. But what is the basis of the hope that we have? What is the basis of the hope? Well, he says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto what? The coming of the Lord. He is coming. Be patient, therefore. How long? Okay, (laughs) until he comes. Wait. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for his return. And every man that has this hope in himself does what? Purifies himself even as he is pure, John tells us. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. The basis of our hope is the return of Christ. And of course, his return will put an end to our affliction, but patience is going to be necessary. We are going to suffer. There will be suffering. There's going to be persecution. Here he gives an example of this kind of patience. The husbandman. Who's the husbandman? And the Bible talks about a husbandman. It has nothing to do with marriage, okay? I know we, kids kind of think, well, husbandman, that must be the groom. No, the husbandman is either the farmer or, in more particularly, a the uh, vine Vine dresser, the owner of the vineyard, the husband, the one who's taking care of the vineyard. He says, Behold the husbandman. Look at the husbandman. And what does he do? As he says, He waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. So here's the example. Think of the vine dresser, you can think of the farmer. What does he do? He has to have patience. How many of you have ever planted a garden? I'll plant a garden? Except all the kids that were born here. There's nothing to plant, nothing. You had to really work at it to plant a garden. We, our, our kids have planted gardens. I'm not sure that they had long enough patience, but uh, um, what happens when a farmer plants the seed? Does he go out that evening and reap the fruit? No, he plants the seed in the ground and then... Does it happen the next day or five days later, ten days later? No. Nothing happens. At least it's visible. What's that? (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) If you are sowing weeds, you will be very successful. Anyway, but he waits and he waits. And what does he have to wait for? How many of you have ever worked with grapevines? Anybody ever here work with grapevines? How long does it take to get grapes? years. We had grapevines in our backyard. We had, I think, three or four. And we didn't eat fruit off those grapevines for years until they became really mature and began to produce grapes. They were just little spindly things. 
We had to take care of them. They might try to put out a little something or other in the early years, but it wasn't worth even looking at. But eventually, what happened? We had fruit in its season. The farmer, the husbandman, is a, has a man that has to have some patience. He has to look at the long term. Okay? And so here, he uses this illustration. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. Listen, how precious is that fruit to the farmer? Well, it's his livelihood. Okay? He's looking forward to it. If he doesn't get his crop, um, he's going to either be hungry or find another line of work. So it's very important. And so he doesn't go out there and say, you know, take his hoe and start digging up those things that he planted. Where, where are you guys? Come on, let's go. You know, no, leaves it alone. He's patient. He waits for that. He waits for the, the moisture to set in, the sunlight, the warmth of the earth. And finally, that seed germinates. The fruit comes. It says here he waits for the early and the latter rain. And that's again talking about the area there in Judea and their rain patterns that they had. But he says here, be ye also patient. Verse 8, be ye also patient. Establish your hearts. Be also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. What does it mean to establish your heart? Well, to strengthen your heart. Strengthen your heart. Listen, this is a heart issue. Your response to persecution is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Strengthen your heart. Remember what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. He said, My son, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Jesus in Matthew 6, 21, what does he say? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be, will your heart be also. And so where is our focus to be? Our focus is to be on the Lord. Our focus is to be heavenward. Our focus is to be on that which is eternal, not just the immediate. Establish your heart. Be established. Be on a solid foundation. You know, let, don't let persecution rock your world, so to speak, or really just cause you to be unsettled. Be established. Be established. The Lord is coming back, and His return is imminent. We don't know when it is. Neither did these people here that James was writing to. But what did he say? He said, the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. It is coming. And how are we to live? We're to live anticipating his return. What does the Lord want us to be doing? He wants us to be looking for his return. Okay? He wants us to be looking eagerly for his return and living as though he could return any moment. And so if we're going to be patient, we're going to have to take the long, the long look. Be patient. Be patient. Don't react. Don't get all bent out of shape when you experience persecution. Who do we have as an example? Christ. How did he respond? He didn't react. Okay? He didn't curse. He didn't threaten. But what did he do? He committed himself to him that judges righteously, and he is our pattern. He goes on, though, in verse 9. And there is a sinful tendency that sin tends to happen when people are under a lot of pressure. Or, here, when people undergo persecution. He says in verse 9, 
Grudge not one against another. Grudge not one against another, brethren. What does it mean to grudge? To grudge against one another? How many have ever played team sports? Anybody ever played team sports? Been on a team? Or do you ever watch sports? What tends to happen when the team gets down in the points and they're behind? There's two types of responses. Sometimes you'll see teammates encourage one another. Hey, come on, guys, we can do this. I'll get in the huddle or basketball game. They get off to the side on a timeout and the coach tries to encourage them. Listen, guys, we've got a plan here and we can do this. And they really try to boost one another's spirits. That's what should happen. Oftentimes what happens, though, is all of a sudden the team is down and they start yelling at each other. Doc, come on, do your job. You know, if you hadn't done that, you know, uh, and what happens? They start fighting against one another and then they fall apart. Okay. That's somewhat the idea of what he's speaking about here. Grudge not. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Oh, a little ditty here. I don't know how I, where, I, where it came from, but it's in my notes. It says, to walk in love with saints above will be a wondrous glory. To walk below with saints we know, well, that's another story. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of a, a silly little poem. But grudge not. Grudge not. Grudge not against one another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. There's an attitude of criticism and fault-finding. Listen, when we're, when we're under pressure... It is a sinful tendency, and it's an easy tendency, a fleshly tendency to look and try to blame somebody else or find fault with someone else. Things aren't going well, or things are, I'm under a lot of pressure, and so, you know, kick the dog, so to speak, <laughs> or, or lash out at someone else. Well, Luke chapter 6 Luke chapter 6, verse 37, he says, he's talking about being merciful in verse 36. Verse 37, he says, Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Again, this attitude of the heart. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Of course, this, there's the same message there. The Sermon on the Mount is what we're looking at. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not, that ye be not judged. And what's he talking about? He's not talking about discernment. No, we need discernment. That is a biblical principle of wisdom. But it's easy for us to condemn. Easy for us to lash out. Again, grudge not. Grudge not one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. And I, I think the second part of that verse kind of makes me smile. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Does that bring to mind any kind of a mental picture? You ever see little kids? 
and they're just going at it, not realizing that mom is standing or dad is standing just around the corner, hearing every word. All of a sudden, mom peeks around the corner, and they see mom, they've been caught. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Now, that word condemned means to be judged. Behold, the judge is near. The judge standeth before the door. Listen, God is watching. God is listening. How are we treating one another? It's easy for us to nip, bite, holler at one another when we're under pressure. Try to fault find, criticize somebody else, pass blame. But we're not to do that. Listen, the the righteous judge is near. He is standing there at the door. Romans chapter 14 and verse 4. It says, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. Context there, what he's talking about is we need to be careful how we treat one another. It's easy for us to pass judgments, easy for us to criticize, okay, to grudge against one another. But when we gripe and criticize another brother in Christ, what are we actually doing? Well, we're actually judging someone else's servant. Okay? We're judging someone else's servant. Whose servant is our brother in Christ? He's a servant of the Lord. Now, it would be preposterous for me to walk into your place of employment and just start railing on you and your co-workers there at your job. You think, what in the world? You're out of line. Why are you doing that? It's the same idea here. If I'm going to criticize, if I'm going to grudge against another brother, what am I doing? I'm really criticizing another man's servant. Who does, who does each one of us answer to? Listen, we answer to our master, to the Lord. Okay, so we need to be careful about this. There's a natural tendency when tough times are at hand, it's a natural tendency to grudge, to complain, to criticize, to bite and devour one another, as the scriptures use those terms. But we need to be careful because the judge stands at the door. The nearness of the Lord. Of course, that's a comfort, but it's also a warning. The nearness of the Lord is it's going to make things right, but it's a warning to us too because he's going to hold us accountable for our actions. We're all going to stand before the Lord someday, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, verse 10. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account for all that we do. We need to be careful. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. That's what we're waiting for. Grudge not against one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. And then he goes and gives us an example 
He says, take, verse 10, take my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. So there's two aspects that he wants them to note about the prophets. Is it their message? No, he's not talking about the message. What are the two things he wants us to note about the prophets? What's the first? We just read it. Okay. All right. The Old Testament prophets. He goes, go back and look at the Old Testament prophets. How were they treated? Hmm. Think about that. How were the Old Testament prophets treated? Were they lifted up on pedestals, admired as men of God? Was their counsel sought for and obeyed? Well, hardly. But why? Okay. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord. <coughs> when you think about the prophets, whose message did they carry? It was the Lord's message. It was truth. Divinely revealed truth. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. This is what you need to hear. And this is what the prophet said. Here's, <laughs> it wasn't always good news, but it was always truth. Here's what God says. You know, repent, turn from your ways, or this is going to happen. I mean, how many times was that said? Over and over. The prophets. So take, my brethren, the prophets. It's an example. Take the, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering affliction and what? And their response. Go back and look at the prophets. Look what they suffered and look at their response. And that is an example for us today. So, we're going to stop right here. And you have till next Sunday to go back and look at some of those prophets. I want you to give me a few examples next week. We'll pick up here. You go on, but I want you to look. Look at the prophets. How did they suffer? How did they respond? And that is, uh, it's really uh, eye-opening. It's very revealing because they are an example. All right. We'll stop right there and we'll pick up here next week. Again, what's he addressing? He is addressing our response to persecution. How do we respond? First of all, patiently. We need to have patience. You need to have your heart established. Have your feet on solid ground. Don't let, don't let persecution sway you from the truth. Don't let persecutions cause you to respond in the flesh. We are looking for something future, just like the farmer. He's waiting for the reward. He's waiting for the fruit of his labor. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for the return of the Lord. He is the one who's going to set everything right. And believe me, he does a perfect job. So many times we look at the society that we live in and we think, man, when is restitution coming? When is this going to be dealt with? You know, why do these people seem to get away with all of this? That's what David said in the Psalms. You know, I just looked around and it seems like these are the, these are the ones who are prospering. But we have to consider their end. God doesn't settle his accounts on our timetable, but he settles them perfectly 
and better than we could do. So we need to wait. Be patient. Let the judge judge righteously. He will. All right. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage in James, Lord, the encouragement in suffering persecution. Lord, we, we don't know the kind of persecution that these people were going through. We've not experienced that. Lord, there may come a day where we experience persecution, and Lord, may we respond appropriately. May we respond with Christ as our example. And Lord, may we remember those Old Testament prophets and look at the example, look what they suffered. And again, look at their patience, Lord, their response. Thank you for the encouragement that your word brings. In Jesus' name, amen.